Cape Wind should be allowed to compete if this is truly going to be a competitive process. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are Senator Ben Downing of Pittsfield, the co-chair of the Legislature's Energy Committee, and Jim Gordon of Boston, the energy developer behind Cape Wind. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me, Bruce. We're talking about landmark energy legislation beginning to make its way through the State House. The House has unveiled a proposal that would direct the state's utilities to negotiate the purchase of large amounts of offshore wind power and hydroelectricity from Canada, possibly in tandem with onshore wind or another form of clean energy. No vote has been taken on the bill yet, but it's already generating controversy. Senator, what's your concern with this legislation? I guess, Jim, my concern is that uh, we have been talking for some time about the potential for omnibus energy legislation, for a comprehensive energy bill. And given the challenges, whether it's the Supreme Judicial Court's ruling on Global Warming Solutions Act regulations, whether it's the, the ongoing uh, science piling in uh, around climate change and the need to act quickly, uh, or the success of our policies for the last eight years, all of that taken together shows uh, that the bigger and bolder that we are in the action uh, that we take, the better we're going to be and the more we're actually gonna be responding to the problem. And while I'm glad that we're starting to have the conversation, that we've uh, moved on clean energy resources, uh, hydro uh, and wind combination, that that'll probably be, that we've uh, taken a clearer step on offshore wind than the legislature at least has in the past. Uh, We still haven't tackled issues around efficiency, uh, something that CLF uh, just recently said was a key component Uh, to responding to the Global Warming Solutions Act. We haven't taken uh, bold steps around uh, energy storage, uh, and we haven't taken that that broader vision, that broader view that we need to, uh, to really be able to comply with the Global Warming Solutions Act, to meet the demands of the climate science that faces us. And the most important part about all of that is uh, that if you do all of those things, you'll reap much broader uh, and uh, more sustainable economic benefits. So Uh, I think the bill, as it's currently constructed, is too narrow. Um, I think it needs to be much broader, um, and I hope that's some of what we'll be able to get into uh, in the Senate. So, as you rightly know, the time is getting a little short, too. (laughs) Is this like a must-pass bill, in your point of view, or is it something that, you know, you would fight for that expanded view, even if your opponents on the other side might say, let's not do that? Well, um, I think we could probably all do well to stay out of Philadelphia and Cleveland come July, but I'm not going to tell my colleagues how to spend uh, their time. Uh, I think we've got the time to be able to do uh, a comprehensive energy bill, a truly comprehensive energy bill uh, that responds to the challenges uh, that we face right now. Uh, It will be tight. It will take time. Uh, That is a problem of our own making, um, but it isn't one that I think precludes us from doing a good bill at this point. So this bill actually came out of your committee, right? Came out of uh, came out of the joint committee, but only with House members supporting it. So did you have any input into what went into the bill? No. Now how can that be? How can it come out of your joint committee without the co-chair of the committee having any input? Well, the process hasn't been ideal uh, by any means, uh, but 
I think the important thing is that we're starting to have the actual discussion now and not a theoretical discussion. That's where we had been for some time. Uh, solar took far too long uh, to handle, um, and certainly that was part of it. And these are complicated issues, uh, both uh, from a policy side and from a political side. So um, I don't fault uh, my colleagues in the House. They want to get moving, and they have a distinct view on how they want to proceed. Um, and when all's said and done, we're going to have to sit across the table just like this with one another and figure it out. And we'll get there. I'm confident of that. So I've heard you talk about other areas you'd like to see the bill address. What about the bill itself talks about hydroelectricity mm-hmm. and offshore wind, but it, both in smaller amounts than the proponents would have liked. Mm-hmm. Is there room to do a bigger bill or is it just about the right size in your estimation uh, on I, those two? Yeah, fronts? Uh, I think... Uh, While I think there's room to do more on both sides, and certainly I've heard that from my colleagues in the Senate, um, you know, again, my my chief concern is that not necessarily with uh, the depth of the bill on those two issues, it's uh, how narrow the bill is in just focusing on those issues. Um, So my chief focus is going to be trying to expand uh, the conversation uh, to include those components around efficiency, around storage. Uh, and others, uh, because I think uh, that's the the main weakness at this point, from my perspective. Um, I know some of my colleagues uh, will want to dig into those issues, and and we'll have to see where that goes. And one last thing on that. What about solar? Uh, There was a measure that was passed, but it's already solar developers are starting to say it was not enough. We're already sort of bumping up against one of the caps. Um, Is there any chance that there might be any solar? Is that too too radioactive to go after. You know, I, I don't, um, I don't want to say never. Um, and certainly, what we passed, uh, the compromise piece of legislation we passed, uh, isn't uh, what I would have written if I had the magic wand and and got to write exactly what I wanted. Uh, but it was a negotiation, an arduous one, one over too much time. Um, so I don't want to say never. Um, but it, I think the critiques of uh, what we did as not being enough or not buying nearly enough time uh, to get us to the sustainable framework that we need on solar, those are spot on. Um, And I said as much on the floor even when uh, we were debating the compromise that we came to. Yeah. So, Jim, let's talk a little bit about the offshore wind component of of this energy bill that the House is looking at. Um, There's a provision in it that I'm sure, a couple provisions in it that would limit who could uh, uh, apply for these contracts uh, for offshore wind with the, with the, that the utilities would be negotiating. What's your take on what, what, it's, what the bill says? Well, before I address the specific clause that you're, right. you're bringing up relative to Cape Wind, I, I want to say that I agree with Senator Downing that this bill could be much bolder. When you recognize in Massachusetts that we're going to be retiring thousands of megawatts of older plants, many of them fossil fuels. We're almost uh, uh, coal is almost extinct. Uh, we're seeing from the public that there's not too much more appetite for natural gas plants. They're being, you know, opposed almost everywhere their you know developers are. And look, I built a lot of natural gas plants in New England. And they were primarily to uh, stop coal plants, competing coal plants there. But right now, you know, we've got, we've got over 50% of our energy being generated by natural gas. 
So I agree with Senator Downing that Massachusetts needs to look at a very broad, sustainable energy program if we're going to address the urgent challenges that the Commonwealth is facing. So offshore wind, hydro, solar, these are combined heat and power. These are all areas that we should be pursuing and public policy should be uh, instituted so that, you know, it, it helps propel those technologies forward. As, as for Cape Wind, I heard that this was going to be a competitive procurement process. And Cape Wind does not have, unfortunately, um, litig you know, uh, opponents ran the clock out on, on Cape Wind through serial and relentless litigation. The contracts are gone. I obtained those contracts at a time where there wasn't any other competitor willing to step up to initiate a regulatory regime for offshore wind, to validate that offshore wind could be a key component of Massachusetts' future. We did that. And for the past 15 years, we've invested millions and millions of dollars to move this project forward. And in truth, it is the most, despite a couple of appeals, it is the most advanced offshore wind project in the United States in that it has a lease, it has gone through the National Environmental Policy Act, and it has an approved construction operating plan from the Department of Interior. So Cape Wind should be allowed to compete if this is truly going to be a competitive process. Let it compete. Don't try to exclude a, a, a eligible bidder uh, from the process. That doesn't seem to be very fair, and it doesn't seem to be very competitive. But and just to be clear, the bill is written such a way that you cannot bid on these contracts, that the legislature would be, the, or the House bill would call it for. Is, it is, right now, the way that the bill is written, Cape Wind would be excluded from bidding in a competitive bidding process for a technology that our company has been very involved in, working very hard. We're a Massachusetts company. We employed hundreds of people over the last decade and a half in moving this project forward. We did, uh, we voluntarily submitted the program to the Massachusetts Environmental Policy Act when we didn't have to because it's in federal waters. But we did everything right. We played by the rules. And I know that people are frustrated and wanted to see Cape Wind already built. And we did too. But unfortunately, the, courts, the court and the judicial system is so slow that we've had to get rid of these appeals. And we've won every case. And we expect to resolve these, these uh, final cases in a positive manner. So... Why would anybody exclude a offshore wind farm from bidding in an offshore wind procurement process? So um, the governor, when he was running for office in 2010, was pretty strong out against Cape Wind. But he attacked it because it was sort of a, a sweetheart deal, as he said, between a utility and, it, in a sense, the Patrick administration behind them, and Cape Wind. He said it was a one-on-one, -on -one, it wasn't arm's length, he had a lot of problems with that. But now, 
in this competition, you would just be one of at least four offshore wind developers. So there would be, you would be adding to competition. And if you don't, if you can't compete, you wouldn't be selected, presumably. So I don't see what his argument is. Do you, do you get a sense of what well, why he would object? Well, well let, me, let me shed some light on a myth. Cape Wind was never a sweetheart deal. In fact, Cape Wind participated in the Green Communities Act RFPs. You could competitively bid for a project, or you could competitive, competitively, the utilities could procure and negotiate with you. That's how the system worked at the time. We were the only project out there that was pushing offshore wind, so there was nobody to compete with. So clearly we were not a sweetheart deal because we were judged across a broad spectrum of other renewable uh, technologies. And in fact, quite frankly, the price of Cape Wind's power has always been less than solar power. But getting back to uh, your, your question was... The, sort of the what, politics of it. What, what, what do you sense is going on here? Well, I, I mean, look, there's, there's been a, uh, a opposition group that has been funded by a, one of the Koch brothers who's a coal billionaire. They're, they're, they've had a very sophisticated public relations campaign and lobbying campaign. And I'm, I'm sure that they've been talking to various legislators, maybe the governor. Of, they don't want to see a, 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 you know, what appear to be quarter of an inch uh, wind turbines six miles from their, from their uh, veranda. So I, I think it's really always been, for some folks, about the view, about putting these in Nantucket Sound and upsetting the views for certain people. But when you, when you weigh the public interest benefits of, of offshore wind, and some of these other projects, you will be able to see them from the islands, when you weigh the benefits of reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, reductions in harmful pollutants, the economic uh, jolt that, that, that this industry can bring to Massachusetts, you know, I, I think that's a, a very narrow point of view. And, and if, we're to, if we're to address these urgent energy challenges, that we're going to have to make some trade-offs. So one thing you're... Um your competitors, if you will, or critics would say is that some of your project came about and was permitted in a, at a, quite some time ago when technology might not be as advanced on wind turbines and et cetera as it is now. And they say, oh, Cape Wind can't compete, you know, even if they were allowed to bid, they, they can't compete because the turbines are too small and it's too small of a project. What do you say to that? First, I would say, if we can't compete, they have nothing to be afraid of. And if that's the case, why would they try to be uh, eliminating us from a competitive procurement process? Second of all, our technology is the most installed technology today in Europe. Europe has been uh, advancing offshore wind for the last 25 years. There are probably now about 80 offshore wind farms operating in Europe and Asia. 
And the, the very turbine that we're talking about is the most installed uh, turbine in the world, and they are installing them every day now. So, you know, one size doesn't fit all, and uh, I wish my competitors, you know, the best of luck, but, um, you know, and I don't presume to, to predict what their price is going to be. They shouldn't presume to what, what my price is going to be. Why don't we just all compete on a level playing field? So, Senator, give us a little sense from Beacon Hill what your sense of this, uh, this exclusion of Cape Wind from the House bill. What's, what's going on with that? What, what do you see on that? Uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate to uh, put words or thoughts in, in my colleague's head, right? Um, I will say this. You know, this was um, this this bill. Component parts of this bill uh, were before our committee at the end of last session. Um, in the waning, you know, weeks, months, and days of the Patrick administration, um, and we tried uh, to to uh, get this framework in place, right? The clean energy resources component of this. Um, at that point, when we moved the bill out of committee. Uh, it landed before the House, um, and there couldn't be, uh, they couldn't come to accommodation between folks who wanted to include offshore wind at that point and folks who didn't want it included at that point. Ultimately, when all was said and done, that version of the Clean Energy Resources Bill, which Governor Patrick had filed, died because they couldn't come to that resolution. Um, so I guess if you follow that logically, I don't know if um, their thinking was, well, this is the accommodation we need to make to move something through our branch. Again, I'm, I'm you know, not in the head of my colleagues, so I'm not sure if that's what they are uh, thinking. Um, what, so, do you, what do you think? Um, you know, I think, I think the politics on the bill uh, are uh, messy, generally speaking, right? Because you have existing um, uh, power plant owners who don't want to see any change in the way that uh, projects are constructed and built at this point. Uh, you have um, members of the business community who are supportive, members who are opposed uh, to a long-term contracting, sort of scattered all over the lot. Uh, you have uh, both offshore wind developers that like the bill and offshore wind developers that don't like the bill. Um, so I, I think it is, it's going to be tricky both in the House and in the Senate to figure out how the whole thing plays out. And I would be lying if I told you sitting here right now that I know uh, where uh, the votes in the Senate lay on you know, five to ten different components of the bill. And I think the House um, would be saying the same. Yeah. You know, Bruce, um, I haven't delved deeply into this, but I've had certain people in the industry uh, uh, call me up. And when they saw the bill, they said, Jim, th this is... This seems unconstitutional. I mean, to exclude a bidder for no rational public policy. Uh, I mean, and and this is a really important thing to think about because there are other offshore wind developers, and and believe me, I I do wish them the best because we need all the renewable energy we can get in order to meet these urgent climate and energy independence challenges that we face. I mean, people are investing a lot of money, and to, you know, if, if something comes out there that doesn't pass the smell test or is vulnerable to, you know, challenges, 
that's not going to be good for anybody in the industry. And we've seen that happen in Maryland and New Jersey with, with uh, challenges to uh, constitutionality of certain transactions that have been done in the energy industry. So I just think, you know, I hope that, that the language is corrected and that we be allowed to compete, but I hope it's corrected for the sake of, of, of everybody who's trying to compete and, and, you know, put offshore wind into the grid. So give me uh, briefly, where are, is your project at this moment? I know you had a couple court cases that right. you have to deal with and a couple permits, but give okay. me a brief summation. Well, right now, okay, in the, in, on the federal side, there was, there's been serial challenges to our National Energy Policy Act approval from the Department of Interior. We've, we've won all of them. There's one more. We, we were in the District Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. on February 11th, arguing the case, the, the last issue on the NEPA, and we're waiting for the appeals court judges to render a ruling. On the state side, in terms of the Energy Facility Siting Board, um, they did not give us an extension on our permit. The permit uh, was, was granted, and it's been held up because of this litigation from the opposition group. We asked for an extension. Routinely, there has been extensions granted to legitimate projects where developers are moving forward diligently to get them done, but are held up because of, you know, court challenges. So we're at the Supreme Court, uh, the SJC, uh, appealing that the the uh, non-extension of our energy facility site siting board permit. Okay, um, so Senator, I'll give you a little the the end word here, if you will. This bill is, hasn't been voted on yet mm -hmm. by the House, um, and when it comes over to the Senate, are you will you be the guy that will sort of craft? the the version that the Senate is going to look at, or will it be just do, done via amendments? Or t Tell us how that will work. Yeah, um, you know, we're working, and, and now that we have, um, now that we have at least the framework of the House bill, um, I've been starting uh, conversations with my colleagues, and we've had a lot of informal conversations going on throughout the better part of the year um, as it became clear that this was a priority of the House and that they would take the first step. Um, so we're having those conversations now, trying to understand what are people's priorities, uh, try to understand uh, how that meshes with the challenges that are in front of us and how we can try and bring both of those together to, to craft a sustainable uh, clean energy policy here in Massachusetts uh, that uh, balances uh, our commitment to climate and cost, uh, that obviates the need for, for as much fossil fuel infrastructure as possible. Um, and that continues our leadership. And, and I think beyond those broad strokes, we're trying to still figure out what the policy interventions are that we're going to put in place. But I'll be working with my colleagues, you know, Senator Pacheco and his role as chair of the Global Warming and Climate Change Committee. Uh, Senator Barrett has been very involved and Senator Eldridge, certainly along with the Senate president uh, and many other members who are really dedicated to these issues um, and want to have a say. So I, I think we're all anxious to get the bill from the House. Uh, and get to work um, and turn around quickly because um, odds are it'll be a, a, um, another difficult conference. Uh, 
um, and, and the clock is certainly wrong. All right, well, we'll all be sitting on the edge of our seats. I want to thank you, Senator Downing, and thank you, Jim Gordon, for coming. The podcast is a production of Commonwealth Magazine, and its producer is Lear Johansson. To subscribe, go to SoundCloud or iTunes.